It's really lovely to be here, lovely to be in this beautiful venue. Thank you for inviting us. So the way that we're going to do this tonight is Cara and I will be in conversation about her dad's book, The Wonder of Little Things. We'll talk for 30 minutes or so and then we, we're going to do a couple of little readings of our favourite bits from the book, just short ones. And we will also, after that, open it up to your questions. So if you think of things along the way, just remember the question and then we'll have a chance to answer them. Andrea has said, so Cara is Vince's daughter and Brenda's daughter as well. And we have some of their family here tonight too, so I'd really like to acknowledge them. It's great to have them here. And what we're going to do is ask each other questions. So I'm going to... Let me just check first... How many people, this is not a you're in trouble if you don't answer it correctly, how many people have had a chance to read or are reading The Wonder of Little Things? So, well, I reckon we're about half-half probably. So, for the people that haven't had a chance to read it yet, I'll just give you a very quick summary. So, here's the beautiful book with the beautiful artwork and... The reason it's called The Wonder of Little Things is because Vince really did... He was an incredibly optimistic, positive person, Cara, wasn't he? And, and he really did notice the little things in life and made a lot of us much more aware of the little things that make life pretty gorgeous. And so that was... It became obvious that that's what this book needed to be called. So just quickly, Vince was born at Point Pierce Mission in 1936... He spent a few years there with his family. His father died when he was very young. His mum took him and his siblings to Adelaide looking for work and then they ended up in Alice Springs when Vince was about 10 and he met the boys from St Francis. And some of you will have heard of St Francis House here in Adelaide. It was at Semaphore and it was a boys' home for Aboriginal boys and in an extraordinary place. Not yet celebrated enough, I reckon, in Australia, but starting to be. Charlie Perkins was there with Vince. John Moriarty, who you'll know from the Qantas Plains, the art designs on those. Incredible people that were first of First Nations people doing lots of things. So there was a whole gang of them there. So Vince was there for seven years and then he ended up in a place called Karamolka and that is where he met his beloved Brenda. And they were there for 14 years. He worked as a labourer and then they came to Adelaide. And that's where this one turned up. And, they, and Vince became a public servant working with Charlie. And so he went on to do pretty amazing things as a public servant, often behind the scenes, which is why he's probably not as well known so far as some of the other people from that era. And after he... Ret so he did that for years and then after he retired he became very involved in his Nudgery culture which is the mid-north of South Australia and he spent the last 30 years working on the recovery of Nudgery culture doing pretty amazing work with archaeologists and people like that. Now that's a quick broad-brushed strokes of his story but just for the people that haven't come across him because we'll be talking a bit about curry which is short for Karamolka and St Francis House and things like that. Okay. So I always find it hard to compress his life into just a couple of minutes because it was a big life, but we, we get there. So what I'd like to do is start by bringing Cara in to ask her, what was it like having Vince as dad? Well, first of all, I just want to acknowledge the Ghana people and the fact that we are meeting on their ancestral lands this evening, so good on them. Anyway, having Vince as a dad was... He was a big clown, really. 
and a big joker. With mum and dad, it was good cop, bad cop, and I'll, I'll you know, let you guess which one was the good cop. And uh, yeah, he was, he was a great father. You know, he was away a lot, but you know, he was very present in our lives and a great role model to look up to. And yeah, he was just a, he was a barrel of laughs. Yeah. The, the humour is a big part of your dad, isn't it? Very much. Yeah. And your mum as well. Yes, in mm-hmm. a different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So just for a quick bit of background, I met Cara's parents in 2016 and I just wanted to learn about Nudgery culture actually and they opened their doors to me and said, come and have a cup of tea. And I did. And then we had lots. And I have to say that we had many, many laughs sitting around the table. They're hilarious, your parents they are. together. Yeah, especially yeah. together. They were yeah. like Laurel and Hardy. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were. And so, Cara, with the book coming out and your dad's life being memorialised in this way, what's that like for you as his daughter? It's precious because, you know, I don't feel like we really, you know, we knew dad as our dad. And we didn't know, we'd heard all these funny little stories that he'd tell us about, you know, meeting Muhammad Ali and we just thought he was yanking our chain, really. And um, he'd done all these amazing things. Oh, when I went to this country and that country and I met, you know, the king of the Maoris and, you know, that that sort of thing. And and, um, we just sort of thought everybody's dad did that stuff. (laughs) We're like, oh, that's what dads do. So, but as you get a bit older and you start to realise he's done some crazy, amazing things with his life and he's had some really... He's used every opportunity and where there hasn't been an opportunity, he's created one. And so, you know, as you get older and you start to sort of see your father or your parents as people rather than just your parents, you start to think, wow, this guy's like a rock star, man. He's pretty good, you know. And, and you do realise then that not everyone gets to do what, what Dad has done. It's interesting because not only did he meet Muhammad Ali, but he also had lunch with... He had lunch with the Queen. <laughs> he did. He did. And there was and a... he met Nelson Mandela. He... <laughs> <laughs> yes, he did. Yeah. And I just thought everyone's dad did that. I'm like, oh, OK, yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and he, he is quite an unsung hero, really, isn't he? He is, yeah. Which is, in a way, part of what was driving the desire, I think, for this book to be written. So for you, Cara, with the book coming out, and you heard, like, these stories about Muhammad Ali, and you thought all your school friends had been there as well. Yeah. So w- with the book coming out, and obviously a lot of those stories that you'd heard as a child were in the, are in the book... Were there other things in the book that were new, newer to you or different in the way it was portrayed? One of the things that really struck me was... Because my dad always told us funny stories about his brother, his older brother, Colin, and how he shoved him down a hill in a little one of those little... You know, those little pedal cars? And, of course, he was going full pelt down a hill and so the pedals were scraping his knees and legs and everything like that. So he used to tell us how you know, his brother Colin shoved him down a hill in this little car and then when they got home, everyone got a flogging. And he used to tell us these little funny little things about his brother. And when I read the book, I just... It kind of broke my heart how much he loved his brother, how much he looked up to him and how tragic it was that he was actually... that he died at a a really young age 
and he died because of the racism in this country at the time. He died, he died needlessly. It's a very sad story, isn't it? And so for those that haven't read the book, it actually is at the beginning of the book because it's such an important part of Vince's life in how he was, you know, how it formed him really. And I think I won't say too much about it because I think reading it for yourself, if you haven't read the book, is it's a really powerful part of the story. And Vince's memories of him, he has... His memories were quite fragmented of, you know, from the child, his childhood because they were having to move quite a bit and there were these things happening because of the policies of the time. So on York Peninsula, Aboriginal people could only go to the Wallaroo Hospital. They weren't allowed to go to Middleton. They all had their little hospitals at the time and Wallaroo was the only one that, you know, was considered a public hospital that... Aboriginal people were able to go to. And this did have an effect. So when you read that part of the story, you'll see why, what it meant in terms of delays for his brother to get treatment. So it's, it's very sad, yeah. So that was one sort of thread that came out more strongly for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, any others that come to mind? Well, one that, that I talk about affectionately, but, you know, I was reading the book and I was sitting up in bed and, you know, I'm, I'm 50 and I had my cup of herbal tea beside me and I was reading my book and, you know, um, very, you know, very grown up. And um, I started to read about the first kiss. (laughs) (laughs) And without a word of a lie, I, I literally read, we were mucking around on the couch and then our lips locked. And I, like just reverted back to a 10-year-old kid and I just went, oh, yuck! (laughs) So (laughs) that's another one. It's like, (laughs) I know it had to happen, but I didn't really want to read about it. (laughs) So... (laughs) And I always like to... I always always said to Dad, I was found in a cabbage patch. Yeah. Yeah. There's actually, when I first started working with your parents, I'm, I'm going to sneak this story in. Go I wasn't on. planning to tell it, but I just want to really embarrass you now, Cara. Oh, go on. So I'd started off by asking Vince and Brenda. I'd met with them in Adelaide. I was actually living in Melbourne, but I was coming over every couple of months to see them and to get to know them both and to hear Vince's nudgery stories. And then we started on the book proper... And the idea was that I would interview Vince and Brenda together because she was enjoying hearing more of the detail of his stories as well. And what happened was that after the second interview, so I was going to be here in Adelaide for a few weeks to do that, and it was March 2020 and we know what was happening then. So COVID started and I had to go back to Melbourne. And so Vince and I shifted to doing it by phone, which was actually harder then for Brenda to be part of the conversation, which was... A big loss, you know, in lots of ways. But we kept adapting. And But what was interesting was the first time I met with the two of them to start on the book, I asked them how they'd met. And what you've got is in the book is a slightly edited version of it. <laughs> and I don't know... Is this where I slam my hands over my no, ears and I... go, la, 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 la? <laughs> Let's see how, how long you can wait. <laughs> And so they start telling me this and they, here's, you know, somebody in their late 70s and somebody in their early 80s sitting around over cups of tea 
And they honestly reverted back to like 16, 17-year-olds. They were just gorgeous. And, and Brenda's saying to Vince, remember you got all Twitter-pated? <laughs> Marlene, do you know this word? <laughs> this is Brenda's sister who's here. Because Brenda sadly died in the, during the making of the book. She as made well. up words. Huh? She made up words. She did, and she made up this word Twitter-pated. And I was like, I figured I knew what it was that was going on. But I, as the, you know, objective interviewer, it was very important to me <laughs> to go, what do you mean by Twitter-pated? <laughs> and they couldn't say it. It was so gorgeous. They were just like, oh, you know what we mean. You know what we mean. And <laughs> but eventually we worked out that that was the first kiss. So, yes, it, that, that was them with it. Is there anything else you want to just touch on with the whole book coming together, apart from embarrassing you and making you realise a lot of other sadder things? Well, I wanted to, to ask you sort of how you came to find Mum and Dad and also when you were talking to them, what made you sort of think there's a, there's a book in this, there's a, you know, this is worth writing about? So I mentioned before just quickly that I had come because I wanted to learn about nudgery. So I grew up in Clare and had spent my first 18 years there and I knew nothing about Aboriginal history, Australian history, nothing. We learned classics and modern European in my era. So this is in the 60s and 70s. And then I'd gone off and had been learning more and more Australian history. I ended up living in Hobart and then in Melbourne over, you know, decades. And then one day I just realised I knew quite a lot about Wurundjeri people who were the traditional owners of Melbourne or one part of Melbourne. And I knew nothing about the town that I came from. I didn't even know the name Nudgeri, which is... So that's... Nudgeri country, for those that don't know, is... So this Ghana country goes up to Gawler. And then Nudgeri is Gawler north to Oruru, sort of around that area. And then it goes for quite a way to the... I guess, say the right on the map, but what's that? That's east, isn't it? I still struggle with that one. So I wanted to learn about Nudgeri. And I went back to Clare and poked around in the history room there in the library. And I found this book. This isn't... I did buy my own, I didn't nick it. But it's an excellent book about nudgery that was done for school kids, put together by teachers who actually worked with Vince's nephew, Freddie Warrior. And when I read it, I just got, was captivated. There's a lot of archaeology in it, also a lot about nudgery language, all of that. And also at the front is the name of a certain gentleman called Vince Copley. So Vince was the contact person for the book. So I got in touch with him and I work as a writer. And so I was writing pieces about, you know, this learning about my country, I suppose, and other things I do. So I got in touch with him to ask him if I could come and interview him about particularly Nudri language because that's what I was particularly interested in. So I rang him one day and said, could I come and interview you after the preliminaries about Nudri language? And he said, sure, come over. Next time you're in Adelaide, come over. So I did. And we talked about archaeology, we talked about other cultural revival. I learned that there are heaps of amazing sites on Nudgery country like rock engravings and things like that. And what else do we talk about? Lots of history. And you're starting to gather what we didn't talk about. Vince, a few months later, when I met up with him again, he said to me, Now, Lee, why did you come to see me? And I said, Because I wanted to talk to you about Nudgery language, Vince, didn't I? And he said, yeah. And then he started to giggle. And he, he did giggle, didn't he? Like he'd get this laugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a 
And it would just start. You could actually see it coming from deep inside and then it would come up and he would just be laughing and he'd say to me, we still haven't talked about the language, have we? And I said, no, Vince, we haven't. And this was really what happened was that he just started telling me stories and he started mentioning, oh, well, my mate Charlie... Or, oh, well, Doug, Doug, yeah, well, Doug was there and I'd go, so do you mean Charlie Perkins? And he'd say, yeah, and I'd go, oh, so he's a good mate of yours? Yeah. And, oh, Doug, which Doug? And he'd say, Doug Nichols, you know, so Doug, Pastor Doug Nichols. Oh, the famous Doug Nichols. Yeah, yeah. So these were all people that Vince, they were just part of his life and that's when I started to think, there's a little bit more to this man than just nudgery <laughs> culture. And so, and then, so knowing that and knowing that he was such a, he was part of this incredible time of the Aboriginal rights movement in Australia. There was a lot happening in the 50s, 60s, 70s that led up to the 67 referendum and then beyond that. And also he is just a cracker of a storyteller. So I was spellbound. And I used to come over from Adelaide and we started off, it was like, could I come and interview you for, would, would, a, would an hour be okay? And then I would just come for the afternoon and just listen, absolutely captivated. So, so just, and then to just jump to how the book came about. So I knew Vince and Brenda for a couple of years. We were meeting up. Vince and I worked on a couple of articles that he wanted to have published about an aspect of the archaeology. So I learned quite a lot from that and from, <laughs> from that he said to Brenda one day, this woman knows how to write a bit, you know. I think we could have a chat to her. And he had, they had spoken to Cara and her brother Vincent about knowing how important his story was and they also were aware that they didn't want it to get lost and they knew the kids knew quite a bit of the story but... There were other bits and pieces that, you know, they hadn't come up in the stories. And so what was that that they said they wanted? He wanted to do it. He, he, he wanted the book written for, for his kids, didn't he? Yes. Yes. <laughs> that was a closed question. <laughs> you can only answer yes or no to that one. <laughs> but feel free to say more if you like. But you'd sat around the table talking about it, hadn't you? I, I remember coming... To, I've heard these stories, little nuggets of these stories my whole life. But I didn't know why he was working, you know, Aboriginal affairs. I didn't know why, how he came to work for ATSIC. I didn't know how he came to meet Muhammad Ali. I didn't know the ins and outs of those stories. I just got the punchlines, really, the funny parts. And I remember sitting there with both of them and thinking, I better find out more about them, you know, before it's too late. Mm. And I remember saying to Mum, I said, you know, he tells all these fantastic stories and we know them inside out and outside in, but yet we, we love hearing them. And I said, but there's a lot I don't know about Dad. There's, I know him as Dad, but there's 30-odd years before mm. I came along that I don't know a lot about. And I think that kind of made her say to him, you need to tell them who you are, where you've been, what you've done, so that they understand who their father is, you know. And I think it was, we'll say, Mum, gentle persuasion, gently persuaded Dad to write a bloody book. <laughs> 
So that's code four. <laughs> and Vince talks about this in the book, um, that Brenda bullied him into it, is, yeah. is what he says. I'm glad you said that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, but of course he loved that she did because she was so much his advocate, really, wasn't she? She, oh, she was his biggest fan, I think. I mean, they fought like cat and dog, but, yeah, she was his big cheerleader, I think. So, yeah, that's, that's the long and winding road to answer your question about how I got involved with the book. And so that's how we started. And here it is. Can I ask you another question? How, how did you find researching Dad's family history, giving, given that there are massive gaps in the information and the record keeping? Some records don't even exist, you know, and people were moved off of their lands onto missions and things like that. So did you find it difficult to piece together and research with accuracy Dad's...? Fragments is a good word to describe what we were working with. When Vince wanted to tell his story, he knew that the historical context was so significant as well. And he's very passionate about young people learning. Vince loved learning himself. And he wanted for young people to really know this history and understand it better. And by that, the good history, you know, the history of strength and courage and all of that, as well as the history of the injustices of the, of the policies of the time. And so he and I talked about how we might put the book together and, and how much history to stitch in to it. So he would remember things, you know, like the tent embassy in Canberra, you know, he went there soon after that, opened up. And Charlie Perkins was very involved in that. And so Vince would sort of tell a story about him and Charlie going to the tent embassy one day and him kind of being a bit of protector for Charlie, actually. And then we would, Vince and I would then talk about, well, how much detail do you think people would appreciate having who don't know about the tent embassy and, you know, how much history to put in. So we'd, then I'd go off and just fact-check, you know, when the tent embassy was started, who was involved, things like that. And then Vince and I would kind of weave that together. So that's on the bigger history question. But your, your question about then his personal story, it was, it was very moving for me to hear and be part of Vince finding out about his past because he knew that his father had died. You know, he was one and a half when his dad died. And he talks about it in the book that his mother told... His mother's name was Katie and his dad was Fred. And Katie was a pretty amazing woman. She told... She would... When Vince was a bit older and asking about what happened to his dad, Katie would say to him, your dad died of a broken heart. And this was still what he... You know, the story that he was telling me for the book, that dad died of a broken heart. And it was like, well... What was that broken heart? You know, what did that actually mean? So one of the places that I started doing... And Vince was really keen to find out everything he could. He loved history. He loved historians. He loved being able to find out all these bits and pieces and make the story bigger. And so we found out through finding his death certificate that he'd actually died of TB. So another pandemic that was circulating in that era. So he was only 30, I think it was, when he died of TB and he had five young kids... Very sad. And the broken heart that Katie talked about was that he had a condition called myocarditis. So it's actually an infection of the heart. 
so his heart was broken. It totally made sense the way that Katie told that story. So genealogy SA were fantastic. They, they keep all the birth records and death records going back. So I was raiding them quite often. I found out lots about other members of his family through that. So I just get birth certificates, death certificates and things like that and then start to put it together. And literally, and another source of great information was the State Library. Yay, libraries. So they were incredibly helpful. And because I was stuck in lockdown in Melbourne, you know, it was I couldn't go into the library to get stuff. And Vince wasn't, you know, that wasn't his favourite thing to be doing either. And I would just ring them up and speak to a librarian and say, look, this is, you know, Uncle Vince Copley's trying to find out his story and I can't get over there because I'm in Melbourne. They just went above and beyond, were amazing with finding stuff for me and then sending it over to me and then I could send it to Vince's family to show him. He didn't love computers, did he? So, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> Close question again. And so that was really good. So bit by bit I was finding out things and sending it to him. And then what he was doing, that would trigger other memories for him. And then he'd start to join more pieces together. So the library, the genealogy people, the museum has quite a few records and we found good photographs from them. So really it was all of these sources. Does that cover what you... you, you know? I was also going to add to that what was it like writing a book in... Lockdown. Well, it gave me a lot of time because all my other work disappeared that first year. So, interestingly enough, all of a sudden there was space to do it. And literally what I would do is talk to Vince on the phone, on speakerphone. I'd record it, then I'd transcribe it. And then I would just craft it a little bit. Um, and then I'd send it over to him. We decided pretty early on that it would all be in his, his voice. So it's Vince telling his own story because as soon as I heard him telling... Like, he was a good storyteller around the table, but once he got serious about this as a project, the recall of detail was extraordinary. It's like his life was this movie that he could just, you know, kind of watch and then tell me what was on the screen, really. And it was like being there with him. And so that was fantastic. And it was pretty soon that I went, this isn't a third-person biography, this is a first-person memoir that we're doing here. And it just worked so well. So, so it was good. Do you have any more for me? My turn? <laughs> Go on. Okay. So what I, one of the things that I was struck by in learning about Vince's family, and he was really curious about this as well, particularly about his grandfathers. They come from, you know, royalty, this, this family. King Tommy is one of Kara's ancestors. So he's from Narunga country on York Peninsula. Kudnato, has anyone heard of Kudnato? She was the first Aboriginal woman here in South Australia to legally marry a white man. That's another ancestor of Kara's. So they're pretty amazing. So I just found it incredible hearing, like learning this history of these strong people. Also, Vince was very, in his storytelling of his two grandfathers in particular, so Joe Edwards and Barney Warrior. That's Barney on the cover there. And Joe Edwards was a Narunga man from York Peninsula, and they were incredible leaders of their communities, and so it was great to find out more about them. So my question for you, Cara, is that you come from a family of very strong people, and we know Katie, Vince's mum, was a very strong woman as well. So what's kind of struck you in reading the book and also from your dad's stories of that strength in the family, and perhaps if you can mention what Katie often said to her son and other kids? Well, come from a, a long line of just 
brilliant people and fighters, people that, you know, wanted to put things right that were wrong. And one of the things about, you know, Dad was a was proper black. He was a proper dark-skinned fella. So, you know, there was no chance of passing or anything like that. And, um, you know, he, co he copped it, but he just didn't let it... He just never let it get to him. He always had a really strong sense of himself and his goals and where he wanted to, to be in life. And he just did not let anything get in the way of that. And his mother always told him, you're as good as anyone else. And I think that just, it was just burned into his soul. He just, he never felt inferior. And I think that is an incredible quality to have, especially when you're a dark-skinned man, you know, 1950s Australia back then. He just didn't see any barriers. And if there were barriers, he'd break through them or go around them. He'd just find a way. And we often say, we say, you know, most of us have, have stories about racism and dad's no different but that's not his story and he never wanted it to be you know his story is much bigger than than that it's something he dealt with most definitely but it didn't define him and it didn't hold him back either so yeah incredible people big shoes to fill but their it sounds really odd but their strength their sort of pioneering spirit their hard work has meant that I don't have to fill those shoes. I can just be me, which is an incredible privilege, you know, considering what they went through in order for me not to have to fight for rights and things like that. So, yes, I stand on the shoulders of giants. That's really lovely to hear that. And it's incredible when we look at where we're at now, I suppose, in the country, Vince's story gives a lot of that history of what's led to the moment that we're living in now and I think for those that haven't had a chance to read it, you'll enjoy those sections that kind of set that scene for Cara being able to say that, that a lot of... I was quite shocked actually by the laws. I had no idea in what was happening in the 40s, 50s and 60s here, not just in South Australia but actually every state, around the restrictions on movement for... Cara's parent, well, for Vince when he was young, for her grandparents. Their lives were very controlled, not just through the mission system, but through the other policies, and you'll find some of that there. And, yeah, I think when you say about your dad not wanting to be defined by the colour of his skin, and he had a beautiful thing he used to say, which was that love has no colour, and that was very much what he believed, and he... Not only did he take on board what Katie said about always remember you're as good as anyone else. He didn't feel inferior and he didn't feel superior either. He actually was just, we're all here together and we're all people and that's what was important to him. And when you learn more about Joe Edwards, his grandfather and Barney, you start to see this incredible the consistency in the way that they saw themselves in the world as well. So very powerful. Time is marching on here. I th what say, would you like to read a little bit, Cara, from a little favourite bit from the book? Okay, so this is from chapter 35, called On the Veranda. Out the front of my home, 
where Brenda and I lived for 18 years, I have an old grey office chair parked on the veranda. I started going out there when Brenda and I first moved to the house. I'd sit there and I'd be looking at the trees and looking at the birds and looking at the kids running around the playground of the school over the road. And while I'd be doing that, all sorts of memories and feelings and thoughts would come out. It became my singing chair, my whistling chair, my story chair. I could sit there on the veranda and be nice and warm for the day. All I'd say to Brenda was, I'm outside and she'd know where I was. The chair was a haven for me. When I started working on this book, the chair booted me into gear. I'd sit there and start to have all these memories and I'd ask myself questions and work out what I wanted to say. It was Brenda's idea that I should write this book for our kids so they'd know more about their dad and what I got up to. After we'd got to know Lee, Brenda and I asked her if she'd work on the book with me. So in March 2020, Lee came over from where she was living in Melbourne to start the interviews. When COVID happened, she had to go back, so we switched to doing it by phone. Then in May, Brenda suddenly died. She'd been sick for a while, but we didn't think she was that sick. Lee and I talked about it and I decided to keep going. We'd talk on the phone a few times a week about different plans of my life and Lee would write it up and post it over to me to check. Then she'd work on it a bit more and check it with me again and now here it is. That chair was pretty special. We threw it out. <laughs> Thank God we got it in the book then. <laughs> so I'm going to jump, I'm just going to read a quick little bit and then we'll have some questions. This is actually, Cara said before about her dad being really good at kind of moving around obstacles and things and not letting other people's views slow him down really. He was an amazing footballer. He was incredibly talented. If I have to mention the football, he'll trip me up when we leave, I'm sure, if I haven't said about the footy. He was incredibly talented and the St Francis boys were all very talented. You know, a lot of them at sport and other things. And Vince, I know Mar Marlene, who's Brenda's sister who's here tonight, she told me that she used to watch him play at Karamolka. Brenda couldn't take her eyes off him because he was playing for the Karamolka team. He had played for Fitzroy, but things got difficult in Melbourne and he went back and that's when he was living in Karamolka. And he played for the team. He was the captain coach at the age of 20. So a young Aboriginal man, captain coach of an otherwise all-white football team in a country town, and they loved him and he loved them. And a lot of this book is his celebration of that community. But Marlene told me one day recently that watching Vince play footy was pretty amazing. The word that she used, and she said to me, she said, this might sound a bit strange, but he was a very pretty footballer. Do you remember that? Mm. And he just and friends of his said that he he was very graceful. He was about five foot eight, and he was a rover. He was incredibly good at dodging around and getting around the big players. But anyway, here's a little bit of him talking about his footy. He, you'd hear stories about blokes who couldn't play as well as you, and the first thing that would come out of their mouth was the colour of your skin. So he was playing for Port Adelaide for a while too, when he was about sixteen. People would be calling you names and wanting to hurt you if they got the opportunity. I thought it was a waste of their energy and it made them a lesser player. Years before I'd been playing football at Adelaide Oval and I did something good in the play that annoyed a bloke in the opposition. 
I don't know what it was, but he started chasing me and calling me racist names. I ran from one end of the ground to the other, and he finally caught me down the River Torrens end. I fell over, and he jumped on me and started punching the hell out of me. And I was laughing. <laughs> there was no anger. I knew that unless he really wanted to harm me, he probably wouldn't. When I started laughing, I felt his attitude change, as if he was thinking, what's the use? Here I am trying my hardest to hurt him, and he's laughing. He jumped up and went on with the game. And, you know, I think that's such a telling story of Vincent, the way that, you know, he had very creative ways of dealing with people's ignorance, really. And he really just wanted people to, to understand and learn. So, okay. So that's a little bit of quick greatest hits from the book. Let me open it up for questions. We've got Andrea has a microphone. So. Did Vince ever talk about his time at primary school, infant school, when he was living at St Francis House? Um, so he went to, I always forget the name of it. He went to Ethelton Primary School. Ethelton, thank you, sorry. I go to call it Elstonwick and it, it's a Melbourne thing. Ethelton. Ethelton, so do you know Ethelton? Yes, I went to school with him. You went to school with Vince? Yeah. Ah. We all used, after school, we all used to go and play because where Francis House was, there was a big paddock where all the stevedores used to work with the horses uh, to take stuff to and from the wharves. And on Saturday afternoons, we all used to go to the movies, down to Semaphore Ozone. Have you had a chance to read it yet? Yes, and I've read the other one that he wrote with uh, Ashley, uh, Ashley Mallett. Ashley yes. Mallett. So and I've also read John Moriarty's book. Oh, great. Mm. So, because you, well, you're possibly one of those young white yes. girls in yes. the cinema. That's right. <laughs> yes, I was. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, he does write about that for those oh, that does. haven't read it yet. <laughs> So. No, we used to have great fun. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I gather that. Yes. yes. He, he always, if we had races out on the paddock, he always won. And he used to fascinate us because he used to run with his head on the side. <laughs> I don't know why. Do you? Big head. <laughs> no, he wasn't a big head then. <laughs> and we used to see him when he played for Port Colts as well, so... Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. And look, the footy, that's interesting that you saw him play because he won the under-19 Tompkins medal when he was 16 playing for Port Adelaide. This is how good he was. So, Any other questions? Do you know whether Vince ever had any contact with David, New uh, David Uniapon or Archie Roach or their families because they were at Point Pierce too. David Unipon was Nurinjeri. I think he was down at Point Maclay. Or was he uh, at Point Pierce as well? I, no, you might be right. Yeah, but I think he... Yeah, yeah, I remember... He's from Ralkin. Just mm. ask him. Oh, OK. Because I remember my mother telling me that she met him once. He used to go around in Murray Bridge talking to people about the church. Who, David did or...? David uh, did. OK. Yeah. It's interesting because David Unipon is such an amazing... I mean, he's on... Which pound, which dollar note is, is he on? Yeah, on yeah. the 50. And, you know, incredible person from around here, Nurinjeri man. Mm. I actually wonder because Kara's... I'm going to... Grandfather, great. So Barney Warrior's wife, Barney who's Nudgery, his wife, so Kara's great-grandmother... Is May Wilson was May Wilson was her name. So and she was Nurinjeri. It's quite possible that there's a connection 
with David mm. Unipin as well. But I don't know. I, there may be people here who do. Yeah. I always used to tell people that my dad was on the $50 nose. Because if you... <laughs> Good on you. If you look at them, there's... They're like the spitting image of each other. So there's yeah. got to be there's got to be a connection there. Yeah, yeah. Can I, they can look I... exactly the same. Thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. There's a question down here. There's been a photo up on the screen of Vince with two older women. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Yes. Who are they? So the they would be my auntie Hilda Wilson. She's Wilbur Wilson's mother. Don't know. He played for Central Districts. And the other one is Auntie Doris Graham, who spawned many footballers. So, yes, yeah, so Michael Graham and then grand, grandchildren who were also footballers like Colin Graham and Philip Graham and, yeah, so... And then I'm sure many great-grandchildren that are playing as well. It's a beautiful photo. It's lovely, isn't it? And they were very beautiful women as well, yeah. Yeah, they... They had a fight over a dress once, <laughs> but they were lovely. <laughs> it was handbags at dawn. I think we'll leave it at that intriguing note. We've come to the end of our time here together. I'll hand over to you, shall I now? But let me just, on Cara's behalf and mine, thank you all very much for yes, your you so great much. attention. It's thank you for coming and thank you for us. supporting. Thank you, everybody. And on behalf of the Marion Library Service, we would also extend a really warm thank you to Lee and Cara for being with us tonight and sharing so much with us. We really appreciate it. And we're so glad that all of you could come along and be here tonight too. So thank you very much. Thank you.